You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas of Circus Sports to break down this Saturday's UFC Vegas 8 event, which takes place at the UFC Apex in Las Vegas, Nevada. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. UFC Vegas 8 features an 11 fight card in total and will be aired on ESPN and ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now, kicking things off on the preliminary card is a welterweight contest between Sean Brady, who is 12-0, and Christian Aguilera, who is 14-6. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? A couple quick notes before we get rolling here. The first one, you football fans out there, NFL fans, you guys have to head over to CircusSports.com and check out the Circus Sports Million 2 Pro Football Contest that we have going on at Circus Sports. I mean, $1 million first prize and $3 million in total guaranteed prize money. And there's going to be an overlay as, as we speak as well. So make sure you sign up for the Circa Sports Million 2. There's also a fun contest called Circa Sports Survivor that you can get involved with. It's a $1 million um, to the last player standing. So some big prizes for this upcoming NFL football season. So again, head over to CircaSports.com and check out the Circa Survivor and the Circa Sports Million 2. Now getting into this podcast... The opening odds that we'll be quoting are market prices available at MMAOddsBreaker.com and Adam Martin's opening odds article for Smith versus Rakich um, going on this weekend. So head over and check out our opening betting odds article at MMAOddsBreaker.com. And then the current betting lines that I will be quoting are from Circa Sports in Las Vegas. So all updated lines that I will be quoting up to date are from Circa Sports. Now getting right into the first fight should be a good one. That open minus 350, the comeback on Aguilera at plus 285. And right now over at Circus Sports, we're seeing Brady at minus 430, the comeback on Aguilera at plus 350. So Brady seeing some action early on, the line rising a little bit. Man, I'll tell you what, Christian Aguilera is one of these guys that doesn't get enough respect. If you're a fan of Access TV fights, LFA fighting, UFC fight pass, you've seen this guy fight before. And Christian Aguilera is definitely a beast, pardon the pun, because that's also his nickname. But, I mean, he fights like one, man. This guy has power on the feet. He's very underrated as far as overall skill in MMA. He's got decent wrestling. He does have a little bit of a flaw defensively sometimes. And, again, he, he does get hit and has been knocked out in the past. So if any kryptonite is there for him, I think his chin and his durability could be a little bit better. But that being said, I think offensively this guy's a powerhouse and very dangerous, as proven in his UFC debut that he took on short notice, by the way. He came and pulled off a great upset. So Aguilera is that type of guy, man. You cannot sleep on this guy. But that being said, the line's where it's at right now because – Sean Brady is just a tough matchup for Aguilera. I mean, I think Sean Brady overall is the more well-rounded fighter. Obviously, he's got a good stand-up game. He's got crisp boxing. He's got power on the feet as well. But he also has better wrestling, I think. he can. He's capable of getting the fight to the floor. I think he's got better grappling as well. So I just think he's a better mixed martial artist. He's more durable. So that goes a long way in this fight. Too. So unfortunately for Aguilera, I do think he's a stud fighter that is underrated in most cases. But in this matchup in particular, I think it's kind of a tough one for him. So I'm expecting Brady to come in here mix things up well enough to clearly 
it'll be a competitive fight, but clearly get the job done here, either knocking out Aguilera, um, finishing him, or possibly edging him out of the scorecard. So I do think Brady's probably the right side. Now, where the line is right now, would I recommend a play at minus 400 over? Absolutely not. It's The line is value is gone. You have to probably stay away from it at this point and just watch and enjoy this fight. So my pick is Sean Brady to get it done. And I'm also going to come in on Brady. I just think that he is the more well-rounded fighter here. Um, Aguilera has power, and that does make him dangerous, uh, most notably getting uh, the impressive uh, first-minute finish against Anthony Ivey um, in his UFC debut. But um, we have seen that he is just not quite there in terms of overall skill set. I think um, that Aguilera is outclassed in pretty much every aspect of this fight except uh, pure punching power. And Brady has the chin to take a couple of his big shots while grinding him out over the course of three rounds. And I think winning a decision, uh, I think Brady can hold his own on the feet with Aguilera. I think Brady can put this fight into the clinch. And I definitely think that he will drag this to the floor at some point because that is not one of Aguilera's strong suits, uh, the ground game. So, I expect Aguilera to, to get put on his back over extended periods of time and Brady to uh, win a unanimous decision. So Brady is my pick. Now, dropping down to the women's strawweight division, we have Emily Whitmire, who is four and three, taking on Pollyanna Viana, who is ten and four. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? Viana opened minus 115, the comeback of Whitmire at minus 105. And right now, looking over Circus Sports, we have Whitmire minus 137, the comeback on Viana at plus 117. So the line flipped. More action coming in Whitmire's way across the market on the Donbass screen. We're seeing it that way as well. Not a lot of confidence right now. Viana, I mean, she's coming in off of a three-fight losing skid. I think a lot of people were expecting a lot better from her and, and she just has gone out there and, and just kind of disappointed in some ways. I mean, I think she's faced some pretty tough competition in different circumstances, at different spots. So although a lot of people would kind of frown upon her, again, her resume losing to Masato, Masato, excuse me, in her last fight. And then Cyphers before that, um, the best loss of those three were probably the Aldridge fight. But that being said, I still think there were difficult spots and difficult circumstances for Fianna come in and take those fights in those situations. That said, Whitmire, Another tough one, man, because Whitmire does have capabilities. Obviously, she has a really good ground game. She has the ability to kind of grind fighters out at times as well. Her submission offensively, her submission game is definitely on point, and she's capable of getting the job done time and time again. So Whitmire, there's a lot to like. Her stand-up's getting better. She's becoming a little bit more confident, a little bit more aggressive. And again, Viana coming on in off of three straight losses, even though – Whitmire also coming off a loss in her last fight to Rebus. Rebus, obviously, at this point is just off the charts. She's a title contender for crying out loud, so that's not necessarily a bad loss. So basically what I'm trying to say is the narrative here, everything is pointing towards Whitmire. I just think this is going to be an extremely competitive fight. I think both of these ladies are capable of honestly submitting each other. Offensively, I think they're both capable. Defensively, they both have some flaws on their games. I think Whitmire, a lot of people are probably – underestimating I think her defensive issues sometimes on the ground and Viana is good enough on the ground where I think she could probably cause some problems there as well I think Viana might be a little bit more capable on the feet here so I'm expecting a firefight back and forth I think both ladies will get top position on the ground and both ladies will threaten to finish as well so I will go against the grain and I'm gonna pick Viana here not a confident pick as again this is 
a very competitive ladies bout that I think will go back and forth, but I will go against the public grain right here. I, I don't see all the confidence why everybody's coming in so strong on Whitmire while I think she's definitely defensively flawed and, and Viana's probably underrated in this spot slightly as well. So Whitmire can get it done. Don't get me wrong. I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if she does, but that being said, I think Viana is getting underestimated slightly in this spot. And I think, like I said, I'll go her way right now and, and just kind of fade the public here as far as a pick. So my pick is Viana to pull the slight upset from Whitmire. And I'll also go uh, in the side of Viana. Um, like Nick said, Viana having lost three in a row, I think has soured the public's uh, thoughts on her, but she is still a talented fighter. She's a, the superior grappler in this fight. Um, she also is going to have uh, the reach advantage against Whitmire. Now, neither of these girls are world beaters on the feet, so I'm not expecting this to be pretty for the the periods that it stays standing. But if and when it goes to the ground, and I expect it to because uh, Whitmire typically likes to, to shoot for takedowns, and Viana has, uh, you know, her biggest strength is her grappling. So I expect this fight to go to the ground. And when it does, Viana should be the superior grappler here. Um, she has multiple uh, finishes via submission on her record, including her UFC debut against Maya Stevenson. Now, obviously, Maya Stevenson was one of the worst female fighters that's ever fought in the UFC. So I think that that, you know, maybe caused pull to hype her up a little bit. But I mean... You look and, you know, back in Jungle Fight, she beat Amanda Rebus. So this is somebody that should not be taken lightly. Um, yes, she's on a losing skid right now, but I think that she's definitely capable of bouncing back. And Emily Whitmire, you know, even though she has made some improvements, um, you know, she's still one of the lower tier fighters in the, the UFC women's strawweight division. So, I mean, her only wins are against fighters that I think don't really have that uh, either very good grappling skills or uh, don't have a lot of power. So, you know, when she's faced people that are good grapplers, she gets finished on the ground. You know, Roxanne Montefiore, Jillian Robertson, and Rebus all finished her on the ground. So, if Viana can get this to the floor, even if it's Whitmire taking it there, I think Viana submits her at some point. So, I'm going to side with Pollyanna Viana. Now, moving up to the featherweight division, we have Alex Caceres, who is 16 and 12, taking on Austin Springer, who is 12 and 3. Now, this fight does not have any betting odds yet because it was just put together uh, in the past 24 hours. Uh, Springer is Caceres' third different opponent for this event. Um, Caceres was actually, what didn't, makes it interesting is Caceres was supposed to face Giga Casat. Kis- Chikadze and Springer actually defeated Chikadze earlier in his career. Um, so that actually makes Springer mildly enticing, but on considering the super short notice and the fact that Springer is probably going to be relying on getting his wrestling going against Caceres, um, Nick and I are both going to be siding with Caceres here. Uh, but Springer is a game opponent and these short notice replacements can pull off shockers like Trevin Jones most recently did uh, last week. So it can happen, but we are both going to be siding with Caceres. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, um, we have Zach Cummings, who is 23 and 7, 
taking on Alessio de Chirico, who is 12 and 4. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? Cummings open minus 140, DeChirico plus 120, and right now over at Circus Sports, we have DeChirico minus 115, the comeback is at minus 105. So again, action coming in on DeChirico, flipping the line slightly, it's right now sitting at a pick with a slight lean towards DeChirico. I think that's probably the right way to go, and I think the early dog money on DeChirico was definitely good grabs out there, so those of you guys that got the plus 120, plus 10, plus even money, I think you did well. I think this is going to be a very competitive fight. I really think Zach Cummings is the better mixed martial artist he has been he's been underrated throughout his career another one of these guys that's really flown under the radar i mean this guy has a very complete game he's been in there with the best competition on the planet throughout his career i mean he's faced top top notch competition there's no question who's had the better resume overall and he's got some solid wins on his resume too with cummings but that being said it's 2020 cummings is the older fighter here in this spot i believe he's six years older I think time is catching up to him a little bit, meaning he's starting to slow down. He's up in middleweight now. He was fighting at welterweight, of course. We, we know that scenario is taking place. DeCherico is just going to be a little bit fresher. I think he's going to be a little bit faster. I think he's going to be a little bit more capable of outpointing Cummings in this spot. I think he's going to be a little more active, and he's just going to be landing a little bit more frequently. I think both these guys are going to be shooting in for takedowns at, at certain times. I think both these guys can kind of neutralize each other on the ground. So I think really what it's going to come down to is it'll be a very competitive fight. It'll go, kind of go back and forth, but I think I think DeChirico ends up kind of pulling away and slightly having the edge in each round. So I'm going to pick DeCherico. Uh At minus 115, it's probably a DeCherico or pass situation still. I just think that if – I mean, Cummings has been so game, and he's been in there, like I said, with quality competition, and he's always hung in there. Uh, and I think it's going to be a grueling fight for DeCherico, even if he does pull it off, off the win. So Cummings is definitely capable of still – pulling off some quality wins and this might be one of them so you got to be careful and not go crazy here but i still think DeCherico is the right side so DeCherico is my pick and i'm gonna side with DeCherico as well um this is a really interesting fight where um i would honestly say that cummings is probably the more technically sound fighter um my issue though is that cummings I don't think he's quite as dangerous at middleweight as he was at welterweight, where his size and strength was a big factor. But, um, you know, at middleweight, he's a step slow. Um, and I think DeChirico will definitely have that speed and athleticism advantage against him. But Cummings is still going to be, I would think, the more technically sound striker. He's more dangerous with submissions. So DeChirico is going to have to be careful. But... The other big issue with Cummings is sometimes he just doesn't pull the trigger um, and he allows his opponent to dictate everything and he can get outworked. So I think that's honestly what happens here is uh, DeChirico is going to push the pace. He'll be setting the tempo. And while Cummings probably does land a few uh, superior strikes over the course of three rounds, unless Cummings hurts him on the feet or puts him in a submission uh, and or gets takedowns and gets top position – I think DeChirico just outworks him over the course of three rounds and wins a decision. So I'm going to side with DeChirico. But again, I do think Cummings is actually the superior fighter. It's just, will he actually be able to put it together and win? I'm not that confident that he can do it. So DeChirico is my pick. Now, dropping back down to the women's strawweight division, we have Mallory Martin, who is six and three, taking on Hannah Cyphers, who is 10 and six. Now, Nick, what's the MMA odds maker's perspective on this one? Cyphers open minus 170. Martin 
open plus 145. And right now, we're looking over at Circus Sports. We're seeing Martin minus 320, the comeback on Cyphers at plus 270. That's right. Minus 170 Cyphers to a plus 270 dog for Cyphers. Big swing, huge swing. Craziness. I mean, this is definitely not the best opener out there. Um, and again, those people that came in on Martin and grabbed that plus money, tremendous value, obviously, all the way up to where it's at now. But at this point, at this stage of the game, it got overinflated and the price has kind of gone crazy because there is definitely some value at that plus 270 price tag on Cyphers. It's going to be a good fight. I think Martin is definitely the more well-rounded and capable fighter. She's got the better grappling ability for sure. She's not a bad striker. She's a warrior. I mean, she's the type of girl that gets in there and lays it all on the line. She puts on exciting fights and a very well-rounded game overall. But I think on the feet is where she's going to struggle with Cyphers. And her wrestling is solid, but I think Cyphers' takedown defense, for the most part, is getting better. And it's going to be kind of tough for Martin to go in there and just bully her around like like she wants to do. But she's capable of getting this fight to the floor. And if she does, she's going to have a big advantage. She probably can't finish this fight on the ground. So I understand Martin being favored. Again, those guys that came in and hop, hopped on that plus money, of course, a tremendous amount of value in Martin. She is the better mixed martial artist, and she should probably win this fight. I'm going to pick Martin to win this fight. That said, at the current price, like I said, Cyphers has one of those ladies that's been flying under the radar, just disrespected time and time again. I understand she's been finished, but she's faced some really good competition. I mean, uh, you have to take your hat off to her and, and sort of speak because, I mean, losing to Angela Hill with the run Hills on right now, losing to Mackenzie Dern, Agapova, Agapova, I mean, she obviously just laid an egg this past weekend. But that being said, I mean, that not not necessarily a, a terrible loss for her either. So Cypher's been in there with really solid competition, and she's hung in there for the most part. I mean, she's gotten blown out, you know, obviously in a couple of those fights as well, but – that said, she's still better than what her current record indicates and, and her performances, I think, overall. And, and Martin is just a different type of matchup for her. So I don't think Cypher should open the favorite, but she should certainly not be this big of a dog either. So this is going to be interesting, to say the least. I'm going to pick Martin to win. I think she probably does get it done on the ground. Uh, maybe enough to win on the scorecards if she can't finish Cypher's. Uh, but I think Cyphers is going to be more than game, and this fight is going to be interesting, like I just said. So my pick is Martin. Let's see how this one plays out. And I'm going to come in the other way. Um, I actually believe in Cyphers enough that I think she can pull this out. Now, Martin is good on the ground, and she has the ground advantage in this fight. But will she be able to take it there? Um, you know, wrestling is not exactly her strong suit, uh, but if it does go to the floor... You know, she has good ground and pound. She has good submissions. So I would expect that if it does go to the floor, that she not just uh, controls the fight there, but she could stop Cyphers there because we have seen Cyphers get grounded and pounded against Angela Hill, and we've seen her get submitted against Mackenzie Dern and uh, Agapova. So it absolutely, if it goes to the floor, I think Martin can win and win by stoppage. But... Martin is not a very good striker. She, her defense is not very good. Um, I think in this fight, it's, it's dangerous for her because Cyphers is nasty on the feet. Like she has power. Like she's not just a good striker. She's a powerful finishing level striker. Um, and Martin is a bit of a fish out of the water on the feet. So if she does not close the distance and drag this to the floor, I think Cyphers lights her up. 
And I think people are really disrespecting Cyphers after three losses in a row to three really, really talented and dangerous. Um, you know, she's had, uh, the opportunity to, to turn it around here. Um, and I think that this is a prime opportunity to, to actually pick Cyphers and bet Cyphers. So, uh, I think not only does she win, um, I think Cyphers has a decent chance of pulling off a knockout or TKO victory at some point along the, over the course of three rounds. You know, she was cracking Mackenzie Dern on the feet before, uh, that stupidly, taking the fight to the ground against Dern and getting Nebard immediately. So as long as she does not do that, I think she has a really good chance of blowing out Martin on the feet. Just don't go to the ground, and I think she wins. So Cyphers is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the middleweight division, we have Maki Patolo, who is 13 and 13-6, taking on Impa Kassengany, who is and 7-0. Now, Nick... Where did this fight open, and how is the public shifting so far? This fight opened exactly a pick 'em. Cassingani minus one fifteen, Patolo minus one fifteen, and right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Cassingani minus one thirty one, the comeback in Patolo at plus one eleven. So a little bit more action coming Cassingani's way. Now we're starting to see some action back in Patolo though as we get closer to fight time as well. So a lot of books are going to have two way action on this fight. As they should. I mean, this is going to be an interesting fight for sure. Cassingani has a big edge, I think, overall. He's a powerhouse, first of all. I mean, the guy's obviously, I mean, if you look at his physique, this guy's a good athlete, physical, strong, fast, explosive. But his path to victory in this fight is grinding and getting the takedowns and not letting Patolo utilize his strength, which is a striking game. Patolo has pretty good hands. I mean, he's, again, another one of these guys is kind of underrated at times. Um, had a really, uh, I don't know, a head-scratching type of loss to me, um, obviously, against Kellen Potter. And I think a lot of people kind of jumped after the Patola wagon after that uh, because he did look really good in his win over Sumter in the Contender Series before that, getting the um, knockout win in the first round. But that Potter loss just kind of derailed the, the momentum that he had going into that. He got some back, obviously, with the Bird win. But then just, again, that guillotine choke loss he just had to Stewart not long ago. He was back. It's kind of head scratcher as well. So you're seeing Patolo kind of show some bad fight IQ and some terrible ground defense at times and takedown defense. So Cassingani, that's his path to victory. I mean, he definitely is capable of getting the fight to the floor. I think he's capable of putting Patolo on his back, grinding him out, maybe even looking for that finish and submission along the way. He doesn't have to get it, though. I think he could control enough to probably win this fight. If this fight stays up in space, though, Patolo's probably going to have enough of an advantage. It's going to get interesting. I mean, Cassingani is definitely hittable, and Patolo – Almost a must win for him after, again, a few weeks back suffering that loss like he did. He wanted to get, get right back in there and kind of redeem himself. So this is a good spot for him to do so. Uh, good fight. Pick'em is about accurate with Cassingani being the very slight favorite. I think it's about right where it is right now. So tough one at the bang window. But I'm going to lean towards Cassingani. I think it is going to be probably his grinding style that gets it done. So the pick is Cassingani. And again, utilize those takedowns, kind of grind out Patolo, possibly look for the sub and you probably get it done. Maki Patolo is very dangerous. I mean, this guy has some power on the feet, and we've seen him, uh, you know, pick up a quality win like against Charles Bird, but we've also seen him get out grappled. Uh, he got taken down repeatedly against Callan Potter, losing a decision back in uh, UFC 243 in last year. And most recently, um, you know, he was looking good on the feet against Darren Stewart, but then 
immediately got choked out when uh, looking to change levels against Dan Stewart. So, uh, and then he ended up uh, getting losing by first round submission. So it's been a, kind of a tale of two Patolos where he can absolutely obliterate opponents like he did uh, on his contender series fight against Justin Sumter, but he gets out rappled. And that's kind of what Cassin Ganey does. Um, you know, Cassin Ganey is not a world beater on the feet. And if this does stay standing, I expect him to lose, but he's faced dangerous, powerful strikers uh, in both of his contender series fights, uh, the Kalen Hill fight and the Anthony Adams fight, both of those guys have big time knockout power. And Cassanghani was able to kind of diffuse their power by closing the distance, grinding it out, getting takedowns, you know, making it a little ugly. Um, you know, that's just what he's capable of doing. And I think that he does it again here. You know, this guy is just a good athlete. He can close that distance. He can grind out fights. And I don't think Patolo has the, the skills to keep this fight at distance where he's going to have a big edge. Um, especially with, uh, the way that Cassanghani was able to neutralize Kalen Hill, a guy that came in was, massively hyped a huge favorite one of the biggest favorites to lose on contender series history um and Casangani was again able to neutralize his power a guy that had won repeated first round knockouts in lfa of all places so you know he was taking on good people and crushing them and he just got completely neutralized and i think that that's kind of what Casangani is going to do here uh patolo you know we've already seen the ground is a bit of a problem for him. And uh, if Cassanghani can grind this out in the clinch or on the ground, he won't win. But if Patolo is able to keep his distance, he'll win. But I'm going to side with Cassanghani by decision. Now, moving on to the main card in the light heavyweight division, we have Magomed Ankalaev, who is 13 and 1, taking on Ion Kutalaba, who is 15 and 5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? And Kalaev opened minus 320, the comeback of Kudalaba at plus 260. And right now we're seeing Ankalaev over at Circus Sports minus 305, Kudalaba plus 255. So back and forth we go. This line did escalate a little bit. Now we're starting to see it come back down a little bit. Look, let me tell you, first of all, I think this line is an eyesore. Ankalaev is a really good fighter. I love watching this guy fight. Super fighting. Power on the feet for sure. I mean, light heavyweight division, this guy is in the mix for sure because I think he's got some underrated wrestling to go along with it that he doesn't really have to use because the stand-up is so good. I mean, unorthodox but clean technique, and I'm saying unorthodox because the angles that he uses and he's able to land with, how fast his kicks come up. I mean, just really fun to watch and really effective striking. I mean, obviously. And, and in the first fight, to the point where – he ended up getting the finish, even if it was questionable or not over Kudalaba, because the referee thought Kudalaba was that hurt. Now, Kudalaba, if you look at it, he was kind of playing possum a little bit. I think he was definitely capable of continuing in that fight, but you got to give credit to Ankalaev because he was the one that put it on him, and he was the one that kind of, you know, made that scenario the way it was. So this is going to be an interesting fight, and I can't wait for it. I mean, this is definitely one of the best fights on the card. I think both these guys are capable of winning this fight, as crazy as it sounds, because Kudalaba is, again, underrated in this spot here. I think he's got the knockout power. I think he's got the stand-up ability to hang in there, especially as the fight progresses a little bit. And Kulayev, I think, does have a tendency to slow down as the fight progresses, and if that's the case against Kudalaba, Kudalaba will take advantage. But early on, of course, I expect Ankalaev to be a little bit of the – 
front runner, so to speak. And obviously he's going to be throwing some leather and Kudalaba's probably that storm. But I think Kudalaba even early can win this fight too. So I would not lay minus 300 over the power of Kudalaba, especially in this spot. I want to see Ankalaev tested a little bit more so than he's been so far. I mean, again, he's looked pretty good overall. Um, really realistically should be again kind of a feeder fighter that fluky craig loss uh, but again that was kind of his fight iq and it was his own fault in Goliath. nobody else to blame there but him but that being said that's the kind of talent this guy is i mean he's definitely special but i think kudalaba is a tough matchup a lot tougher he think here so i wouldn't be surprised if kudalaba gets it done here i'm gonna pick Ankalaev, but it's one of these situations where i'm gonna pick the favorite but it's a dog or pass situation at the betting window so I think there is a little bit of value at Kudalaba. Let's see how it plays off. A lot of people are not going to agree with that. A lot of people are going to put Ankalaev into parlays. I say be careful here, man, because this should be a very good fight. So the pick is Ankalaev, but Kudalaba could very well be live here. Yeah, this fight is interesting. I mean, obviously, the last fight ended extremely controversially, which we've already discussed. But um, Kutalabo was getting hit with some good shots, but it was not fight-ending shots. He was not knocked down even. Um, I mean, it looked like he was even, you know, gaming uh, Ankalaev a little bit to try to sucker him in uh, and leave himself a little bit more exposed to some big bombs. Uh, but overall... I mean, I still do think Ankalaev can win this fight and should win this fight. He is the more well-rounded striker. Um, he mixes in beautiful kicks with his punching combinations. I would say Kutalaba is the more dangerous puncher and has more power in his hands. But the fact that Ankalaev mixes in head kicks so easily and Kutalaba, you know, eats some decent head kicks in that brief uh, first fight um, does make me think that uh, Ankalaev should be able to win this again. Um, that being said, uh, you know, you can never count Kutalaba out. This guy does have a chin on him and he has big hands. And Ankalaev, you know, he does not always have the greatest fight IQ. We've seen him uh, make some mistakes late like he did against Paul Craig. So um, I expect Ankalaev to get the win, but you just cannot count on him fully because, um, you know, he could uh, charge in and eat a big counter combination or something from Kutalaba. Now, Kutalaba, I would say, has less technique than Ankalaya well, but uh, he makes up for it with power and volume and pace. Like, this guy can just push a hard tempo for three straight rounds. And Ankalaev, I'm not fully convinced, um, has the conditioning to keep up. So if he does not... Uh, you know, measure himself over the course of three rounds, I could potentially see Kutalaba, you know, outworking him by the time this fight is over, potentially even finishing him late. Uh, but again, I do think Ankalaev mixes it, mixes it up later, utilizes distance better. Uh, the head kicks are going to be a big part of his game in this fight again. Um, and he might even mix in takedowns. And Kutalaba is not a submission threat like Paul Craig was. So... Again, I think Ankalaev should be able to win this fight, but there are some concerns, particularly with conditioning and pace. So uh, just be careful with this one. It is not a, I do not expect it to be a repeat of that first controversial finish. Now, dropping down to the featherweight division, we have Ricardo Lamas, who is 19 and 8, taking on Bill Algio, who is 13 and 4. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? 
Lamas open minus 265, Algeo plus 185. And right now what we're seeing over at Circus Sports, minus 280, Lamas, the comeback on Algeo plus 235. This line was over 300. Now it's coming back down a little bit as well. Look, obviously, I mean, Lamas has been in the UFC for a while now. We've seen him rise to the top, get a title shot, perform at the highest level possible. Again, face the best of the best and be one of those elite fighters in the UFC. So Lamas is just a stud. The problem is his career has been long. He's been in some brutal wars throughout. He's been knocked out, you know, on occasion throughout his career as well. So he's not going to be the freshest fighter, the most, I think, durable fighter at this point. He's 38 years old as well. So not getting any younger. So that's the problem and issue for me here. Um, Algio is taking this fight on short notice, so that's not going to bode well for him. He does have a tendency to slow down because he throws so hard and goes so aggressive in a lot of his fights. Um, so that's comes play here as well. But obviously, Lamas is the better fighter. He is more well-rounded. I think he's capable of finishing this fight by possible submission. Um, he's going to be the faster striker of the two. Um, cleaner technique overall, but Algio has a little bit more power. I think he's more capable and has more finishing ability right now, especially on the feet. Um, I, I think he's a little bit more durable in that regard as well. So this is a problem. This is not an easy late replacement type of fight. I mean, Algio is not a small guy. Um, I think, again, if, if Lamas doesn't fight this fight smart and is taking him lightly a little bit, we could see Lamas get upset here and, and possibly knocked out. So this is definitely a dog or pass situation, despite the skill discrepancy here and Lamas being, again, the more well-rounded fighter, big edge on the ground. Algeo's not bad. I mean, he's he's got a submission game as well. It's just not up to par, I think, with Lamas. So um, both these guys are well-rounded, but I, I still think Algeo's path to victory here is landing a big, powerful shot on the feet, maybe a knee. Um, something sort of speak of that nature because I think he probably has to get it done. If he hits a scorecard, it's more than likely it's going to be Lamas out pointing him. Um, so it's going to probably have to be Algeo inside or he's going to lose this fight. Uh, so I think he probably will lose this fight. Obviously that's, I'm going to lean Lamas, but again, another dog or pass situation. Uh, even if it's short notice, I don't think you can lay almost 300 on Lamas at this point in his career against a fighter like this. that's going to come in aggressively and has power like Algio. So not a good situation to lay the chalk here. Um, but I'm not confident that Algio will get it done either. So I'm going to pick Lamas, but it is definitely a dog or pass situation with a little bit of value in Algio. I'm going to side with, uh, Ricardo Lamas here. But it's tough to trust him at this point. I mean, he was uh, one of the more talented fighters in the the UFC featherweight division. I mean, he earned a title shot for a reason, and he actually won the fifth round against Aldo. So, you know, this is a dangerous fighter. But, you know, he is definitely on the downswing in his career. I mean, 38 years old, that's ancient in the featherweight division. His chin has really deteriorated. I mean, it was never particularly good, but we've now seen him get knocked out by Calvin Cater, Josh Emmett, uh, Chad Mendez, um, and he gets hurt in fights as well. So, you know, there's just not a lot of confidence in Ricardo Lamas here. Um, you know, he does have, I think, the wrestling edge, the submission edge, and he is still a good striker. He just can't, you know, absorb a good shot anymore. Um, so, uh, against somebody like Algio that is a dangerous, powerful striker who has picked up, you know, switch kick knockouts in his career, um, you know, that's dangerous. Um, you know, I'm, I'm definitely concerned, um, for, uh, 
Lamas here, I mean, if he eats a switch kick, he's going down in a heap. Um, we've seen him get hurt with a jab. So um, that absolutely could happen. Now, uh, we've also seen Algeo get outworked by a strong grappler like Jared Gordon back in CFFC in 2017. Uh, you know, he's also lost uh, getting choked out by Shane Burgos. So when he faces good UFC level talent, he typically gets out grappled and loses. So that's kind of what I think happens here. I mean, if it stays standing, Algio absolutely has a puncher's chance to, to score a knockout and win this thing. But uh, as soon as it goes to the ground, Lama should have a big edge. Uh, he has pretty good submission skills and he's very dangerous from top position with ground and pound. So, I think it's only a matter of time until he drags us to the floor and gets the win against a short notice replacement with Algeo stepping in for Ryan Hall on relatively short notice. Um, so I'm going to go Lamas, but again, I'm definitely concerned that Algeo knocks him out at some point before getting dragged to the floor. So Lamas, but please be careful out there. Now, Dropping down to the women's flyweight division, we have Ji Yeon Kim, who is 9-2-2, taking on Alexa Grasso, who is 11-3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Grasso opened minus 250, the comeback on Kim at plus 210. Grasso is currently minus 295, the comeback plus 250 at Circus Sports as we speak. So... People coming in Grasso's way, a lot of parlay action coming in that way as well. We're going to probably need Kim to get it done here. Um, not necessarily a bad thing, especially where the line is right now. I mean, look, first of all, Grasso is moving up a weight class. I know she's getting she's getting better fight by fight. I've seen the improvements in her game, even in her losses. I mean, I think she's gotten better. So I think she's never been in a better place in her mixed martial arts career than she is now. I know that's kind of crazy to say because, again, she's had some ups and downs in her career. Um, even in the UFC thus far, she's coming off of a very razor-tight, close decision loss to Sparza. Uh, but that being said, again, Grasso's never been better. Her takedown defense is getting to the point where she can stuff some takedowns. Her striking on the feet's always been where it's at. Um, very aggressive, fast, clean, powerful. I mean, fun to watch. So a lot of good things to like about Grasso. But Kim is going to be the bigger fighter. This is her more natural weight class. Kim is so smooth, so calm, so composed on the feet. She's got underrated power, clean technique. I mean, just a technical skill set. I think that this is going to probably end up being a very competitive fight, a lot more competitive and back and forth than people realize. I mean, I know, understand Grasso might be a little bit more aggressive. She might throw at a higher pace, but I think Kim in exchanges is going to kind of like stifle some of that because I think her power is going to make an impact. Grasso's going to feel some of it as it's coming back at her at her way. So I think it'll be back and forth. I understand Grasso kind of having the slight edge again, being a little bit busier. I think she's a little bit more aggressive overall. I think the judges like her, um, the, like the way her fighting style a little bit more over Kim. So I could see Grasso pulling a, a very close competitive decision off here. I will pick her to win, but again, it's about betting value. And is there value at Grasso minus 295 right now? Absolutely not. The price is way overpriced at this point because I think Kim, again, will be a lot more competitive than the current line indicates. So it's a dog or pass situation. So if this was 
closer to a pick'em fight, of course, I'm going to pick Grasso to have the slight edge. But at minus 300, it's a dog or pass situation. So I'm going to pick Grasso to win. I think he probably edges this out. But the line is overinflated. Kim is a lot better than the current line indicates, and it's a dog or pass situation. So we'll leave it at that. So my pick is Grasso, but I wouldn't be shocked if, if we do see an upset here. And I pick that upset. Uh, you know, Kim is underrated. Um, I mean, her first loss in the UFC was debuting at Bantamweight, but since dropping down to flyweight, you know, she's three and one in the division with her only loss being a stand-up fight against Antonina Shevchenko, where, you know, Shevchenko is, you know, a very, uh, talented striker, you know, a Muay Thai world champion. So, um, you know, that wasn't exactly, you know, the worst thing that could happen to her. So, uh, she's picked up decisions against Justine Kish and Melinda Fabian and most recently got a uh, second round TKO finish with a body shot against Nadia Kassim. Uh, so, you know, I think Kim is wildly underrated in this fight. You know, she is a natural flyweight and Alexa Grasso is moving up to flyweight and I don't really understand it. You know, she was not a particularly big, uh, strawweight. So it's not like, you know, this is just a huge boost to her for the weight cutting. And, you know, she was competitive against almost everybody except Tatiana Suarez. Um, you know, you could you almost argue that she could have beat uh, Carla Esparza. You know, that was a majority decision loss. So um, I just don't understand why she's moving up a weight class. I think Kim is a dangerous opponent that has the power advantage on the feet, is going to have the reach advantage, the size and strength advantage. Um, I think Grasso could get outclassed on the feet here. Uh, Kim mixes it up well, and she could hurt Grasso potentially on the feet. Um, and uh, honestly, I think Grasso's best chance to win is not keeping this standing and utilize her, her and utilize her striking, which is actually her biggest strength. Um, her best chance to win is possibly shooting in for takedowns and trying to put Kim on her back, because on the feet, this is going to be competitive, and I actually think Kim can win it on the feet. So. Uh, and considering, you know, Grasso really hasn't used her grappling offensively since she faced uh, Mizuki Inoue back in Invicta uh, before she ever debuted in the UFC, I actually think that this stays standing and Kim does just enough to win a decision. So Kim is going to be my pick. Now moving on to the co-main event of the evening in the welterweight division, we have Robbie Lawler, who is 28 and 14, taking on Neil Magny, who is 23 and 7. Now, Nick, where did this fight open? And how's the public shifted things so far? Magny opened minus 140. The comeback on Lawler plus 120. Line skyrocketed right away. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Magny minus 260. The comeback on Lawler plus 220. Look, I don't know, man. I think 260 is a little bit too high for this price as well. I think that obviously somewhere in between might be the right price. I mean, Magny in 2020 has the advantage. He's been performing really at a level. I mean, the guy has length. He's got good fight IQ, obviously. He's got the well-rounded skill set. I mean, he can outpoint his opponents. He's fun to watch on the feet with his movement, um, with his speed, with his technique. But he's smart enough to grab it stall the fight when he has to, clinch up against the cage, look for some takedowns, and then on the ground, Magny's very underrated as well. Now, defensively against amazing grapplers, obviously, he's had some issues. 
Robbie Lawler is not an amazing grappler that's going to give him those issues on the ground. So Magny's pretty safe there. But on the, but he has to worry about the Robbie Lawler. Of course, a former UFC welterweight champion. I mean, this guy's just a powerhouse. He still carries that power well. I don't think he's totally shot or totally out of, um, the realm of, of rolling together a few straight wins, and even getting still into the title contender pitcher again. I mean, that's what Robbie Lawler is capable of. And it could start off by, you know, getting a devastating upset over a guy like Magny right now and just kind of opening eyes again because Robbie Lawler has that fight ending power. I think Magny has a little bit of a suspect chin. Maybe it's not say, but he has been clipped. Even the fights that he hasn't been knocked out in, he's been clipped, he's been hurt, and Lawler has fight ending powers we've seen and said many times. So the longer this fight stays on the feet, the the more comfortable Lawler gets, the more he's going to be able to kind of blast away and try to finish Magny on the feet. If he doesn't get it done, though, He's probably going to lose his fight. So I don't see him winning a decision here. It might be more competitive than people think, but Magny should have the edge on the scorecards. Magny should have the edge on the ground. I think he might be able to, to kind of wrap around Lawler, kind of drape over him, pull him down at times, maybe try to utilize some of that grappling. Lawler is not an easy guy to take down. His takedown defense through the years has gotten so good. Uh, but again, Lawler's in for a different type of matchup as far as Magny goes. Um, Magny kind of has a different way of getting this fight to the ground than traditional wrestlers. So could be a tough stylistic matchup for Lawler in that aspect. But overall, I think Lawler could be far more competitive than people realize here. And he's a dangerous fight for Magny as well. So I wouldn't sleep on Lawler here. In fact, if you're going to bet this fight, I would seriously consider looking at Robbie Lawler by KO, TKO, inside the distance, something like that. I think that might be the way to go, and there might be more value there than anything else here if you're going to bet this fight. So there's no way I can lay over 200 in this spot on Neil Magny. So it again, another dog or pass situation in my opinion, but again, maybe look at a prop. And if Lawler's this fight, it's probably going to be my knockout, that sort of situation there, like I said. But my pick is Magny. If this was a coin flip fight, I have to go Magny's way. Again, it's 2020. He's more than capable of outpointing Lawler and, and getting the W here. So I understand it. If he doesn't get finished, probably the fight, I'm going to pick him to win. And I'm going to side with Magny as well. I mean, at this point in their careers, Magny is fighting on a whole new level. He's looked amazing in his last two fights since returning from a long layoff, uh, picking up one-sided dominant victories against uh, Jingling Lee and uh, Anthony Martin. Uh, I mean, he looked sensational in both of those fights. I mean, his wrestling's been on point. His striking's been on point. We already know that his conditioning is elite and he just wears people down. Um, but, uh, I mean, he just, those, both of those fighters that he faced had powerful striking, dangerous striking, and both of them were decent grapplers. And Magny had just completely outclassed them. Now against Robbie Lawler, again, he's facing a powerful, dangerous striker, but as long as he avoids those big bombs, um, Magny's going to be pushing the higher tempo, so he's going to be outworking and outclassing Lawler over the course of three rounds with that elite um, jab that he has and the, the longest reach in the UFC of anybody under uh, light heavyweight. Um, and uh, he has the superior wrestling and ground game here. You know, Lawler does have some really good sprawl and brawl ability, so... Um, you know, he could catch Magny with something as he shoots and changes levels. But for the most part, as long as Magny does not get knocked out, he's going to win. Uh, you know, I do not see Lawler winning a decision unless he hurts Magny in all three rounds and um, just isn't able to finish. Uh, but that's typically not how Lawler fights. You know, he's a good striker. 
but Magny should be able to keep his distance. And when strikers are able to beat Magny, it's been because they were able to mix it up better against him. Because as good as his stand-up is in terms of his long jab and reach, um, his legs are a bit vulnerable. Lorenz Larkin and Ponzinibbio both were able to trash his legs with powerful kicks before hurting him on the feet. Um, and that's just not something that Lawler typically does. So Lawler's more of a traditional boxer with heavy hands and good counters and big hooks. And as long as Magny can fire him straight down the pipe and uh, utilize distance, I think Lawler's just going to be really struggling to find a home for his big power. So I like Magny here a lot. Um, again, he can, this fight can change it at a moment's notice if Lawler lands a big shot. I think Magny just outclasses him and outworks him over three rounds and probably wins a decision. So Magny's my pick. Now moving on to the main event of the evening in the light heavyweight division, we have Anthony Smith, who is 33 and 15, taking on Alexander Rakic, who is 12 and 2. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Rakic opened minus 235, the comeback on Smith, plus 200. And right now, what we're seeing over at Circus Sports is Rakic minus 265 with the comeback on Smith, plus 225. So line got bet up a little bit. But we are starting to see some action on Smith as well because this line, again, was heading towards minus 300. Now we're seeing it drop. Books have been getting bet some dog money despite the line kind of escalating a little bit as well. Look, let's face it. Again, as far as mixed martial artists go, Anthony Smith is the better mixed martial artist. He's at a plus 225 price tag for being the better mixed martial artist, right? So that kind of is a head scratcher in its own right. But Rakich is a stud. He's an up-and-coming fighter, obviously. He's a finisher. I think the timing is great for him, and the stylistic matchup is pretty solid for him as well, because Anthony Smith's going to have to want to get this fight to the floor. Now, don't get me wrong. Anthony Smith on the feet, he's proven time and time again, especially as of late. He's more than capable of hanging in there with elite strikers. I mean, he has some length, has some power in his own right. I mean, he definitely has effective striking, but as the fight progresses, especially right now, coming in off of that brutal, devastating beating that he took to Glover Teixeira, I mean, it's only three months ago. I don't think Anthony Smith has had the proper time to heal, get back in camp, refocus, all that stuff. And three months after that brutal beating, I don't think so, man. I, I think the timing is terrible for Anthony Smith to get back in there against a guy like Ray Kitch here. So, I mean, tough to bet because I think Anthony Smith does have a path to victory, especially if he could get this fight to the ground and start utilizing that group a little bit and kind of test Rakich's um, submission defense if he could get this to the floor, which is not going to be easy because Rakich has a decent takedown defense. He's getting better in that area as well. And Rakich, again, can be the more effective, more fresh, more durable striker of the two. So you got to like Rakich in this spot. I like Anthony Smith. If Anthony Smith was coming into this fight rested, so to speak. I mean, Rakich, for example, I mean, I, I don't think he's been in there for about a year or so, um, if I'm not mistaken. His last um, his last fight was to Ozemir, and he lost, and that was back in December. Not quite a year, but a lot more time to heal from. That was a pretty tough fight as well. You, you know, it was a close fight. A lot of people felt like he could have won that fight. I thought the decision was about right. Uh, that being said, it wasn't an easy fight. So he took a little bit of damage in that fight for sure, but he was able to heal. He had time for get back in camp, refocus, all that stuff. Anthony Smith did not. So again, Anthony Smith, more well-rounded, more proven, more established as far as 
competition level throughout his entire career. He's climbed his way to the top, got the title shot. There's a lot to like about Anthony Smith, but that Glover loss, that beating that he took just a few months ago in front of us all, that everybody was kind of feeling bad for Anthony Smith, uh, thinking that their coaches obviously should have stopped the fight, but, you know, all that controversy, everything about it. He's getting right back in and headlining another UFC card three months later. Ha, huh, crazy. I don't know. So I'm picking Rakic. I can't bet it still because again, the skill set's there. I mean, we could see the upset. If you're going to bet this fight, I would probably pick again Rakic probably inside the distance. It's only a three round fight, by the way, for a main event. So you have to take that in consideration as well. So are these guys capable of surviving each other in a three round fight? Sure. But at this point, I mean, again, Anthony Smith, not so sure what his durability or what his exact, you know, conditioning level is going to be at this point but that being said i think in most cases a three-round fight is better um, than five for these guys at this point in their career so i can understand it i guess but i'm going to pick rakich despite if it's a scorecards i think he outpoints smith it'll be probably pretty competitive but if not i think he gets it done inside the distance he gets it done probably by knockout and finishes smith before it hits a scorecard so a little bit too soon smith i have a ton of respect for the guy man but I just think it is a little bit too soon against a high-level, capable fighter like Rakich. So my pick is Rakich, and stay away from laying it straight, but maybe Rakich by finish might be the way to go here. Yeah, it was only three months ago that we were all picking Anthony Smith to defeat Glover Teixeira, and for a round and a half, we looked like geniuses. You know, he was uh, landing some good shots on the feet. He was outworking Teixeira. He was outstriking him. He was he was looking great, but then for he just hit some sort of wall and gassed out, and Teixeira just completely took over that fight and laid a massive beating on him. I mean, it was so bad uh, that by, I think, the fourth round, he was apologizing to Smith mid-fight for what he was doing to him. That's how bad of a beating that Smith took. I mean, he lost teeth in that fight. Um, and then eventually, you know, got finished in the fifth round. So... uh I'm, you know, most fighters, you know, maybe they win a fight convincingly and then they turn around and fight three months later. But Smith got, oh, I mean, just crushed uh, over the last three rounds of that fight and got finished. And he's back three months later against a younger, more dangerous version of Glover Teixeira. I just do not understand it. Um, I do think Smith has the talent to win this fight, but I'm really concerned about the quick turnaround that he's making against a even quicker and more dangerous opponent. Like, you know, Smith was when he's on and condition is good and his technique is on, he was able to outwork Teixeira on the feet. But the second he started to slow down, Teixeira just started blasting him on the feet and eventually on the ground. Uh, I don't think Smith is going to have a big edge on the feet this time around. Uh, Rickich is a talented kickboxer. I mean, this guy can go. Um, he pushes a good tempo. He's powerful. He mixes it up better than, uh, Smith does. Um, now he did get, uh, drop a split decision in his last to Ozdemir, which is a bit concerning. You know, that was his best test, I thought, so far in his UFC run. But before that, he had quality wins. You know, Justin Ledette, Devin Clark, Jimmy Manoa, uh, you know, he passed those tests with flying colors, including two of them, uh, getting, uh, finishes. So, you know, I'm definitely concerned about Smith here. You know, he, 
he should he should at least have waited six months before fighting again, possibly even longer. Um, so I think if Smith isn't able to get a quick finish, um, and his conditioning is not back to the levels it was when uh, he was picking up those third round finishes against guy or late or later like the fourth round finish against Gustafson, um, then. I'm definitely concerned that Smith gets clipped and finished at some point in this fight. So my pick is going to be Alexander Rakich. I think that he's the technically superior striker. He's going to mix it up better. He's potentially going to be landing heavy kicks. He's got a back fist in his pocket. Um, so I just think it's only a matter of time before he connects with something nasty and potentially Smith starts to slow down and uh, Rakich picks up a TKO win along the way. So Rakich is going to be my pick. So do it for our full event breakdown for UFC Vegas 8. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMAOBPremium on Twitter because that's where we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert if you prefer that method. Just send an email to picks at MMAOBPremium.com and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Remember to check out MMA Oddsbreaker Premium. Good luck, everyone, and hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend. <laughs>